In these letters to Timothy that we've been examining these past few weeks and in the weeks to come, you will no doubt notice that some advice is given repeatedly. In fact, even in today's scripture portion, there are some things repeated. And as you know, <clears throat> we have to ask ourselves, why are these repetitive portions included? Why does Paul say them so often? Well, I ask you to think of a peeled orange. As you know, every section of an orange is distinct. You peel them apart and they're all together as a peeled orange, but you pull them apart and they, they are separate, but every section is almost identical to the one next to it, isn't it? But every section has its own delicious juice. Every section is, is worth having. And so it is with Paul when he gives something he says something and then he repeats it. Let's remember that every time he repeats it, there's something else to learn. There's something there for us as a whole and as individual parts. The verses we read a few moments ago are filled with practical advice, not only for Timothy, but for any teacher or church leader, or for that matter, anyone who listens to a teacher or a preacher. Paul begins by saying, in effect, teach these things to the brothers and sisters of the church. And he also says, not only teach them, but he he says how to do that. In using the Greek phrase he did, it is clear that Paul does not mean that Timothy is to lay down the law or to issue an order to be followed. And here I should pause long enough to tell you I am not a Greek scholar with the help of a lexicon and a Greek grammar, I can make my way through some, except the most difficult passages in the New Testament, but I rely on those who know more than I do to tell me what things mean. And those Greek scholars that I do reference say that Paul has used a phrase here that says these instructions are to come as advice, as counsel, as a brother might counsel another brother or a sister, not as a military general issuing an order. They are gentle and they are true but they are not demanding. Paul also tells Timothy to prepare himself for the teaching task 
in saying that he is to be nourished on the words of the faith and the sound teaching that he has followed. From boyhood, Timothy was schooled in the faith by his mother, Eunice, and his grandmother, Lois. Although he was young when he heard these things, they filled his mind and heart and took root there and produced fruit there. Paul says Timothy is young, but he is not a novice. He says for Timothy to rely on the sound teaching he has received. But he is nourishing his faith by consistent study. Long before the term became common, Paul is saying that Timothy must become a lifelong learner. He urges Timothy to be godly. As you know, Paul often refers to athletics. He uses athletics to illustrate a particular point he is making. And here, too, he refers to athletics. And he assumes that one who is training to be an athlete is, is going to consistently apply himself to training. He trains relentlessly for the race or the contest in which he has entered. But Paul goes on to say that physical training, while of some value, incidentally, I confess to you, this has long been a verse I have claimed that physical training is of some value. But godliness, that's what we're after. <clears throat> so I excuse <clears throat> myself <clears throat> for not training physically. I try to focus on the godly part. Paul says Timothy is to train to be godly. And this godliness has value in every way. And not only in this life, but more particularly, of course, in the life to come. Now, any teacher who is not also a learner will soon run dry. And no doubt you have heard of teachers whose teaching was dry as dust. You have probably, in these recent weeks, sat in sermons that have been dry as dust. Despite my best efforts, nevertheless, these teachers and these preachers, and Timothy in particular, must pay close attention to his teaching. We'll get at that a little bit more in just a moment. But, but Timothy 
is not to fall into a rut of teaching the same things or preaching the same things repeatedly, but constantly being infused with new ideas and new training and new teaching. He espouses these new ideas as they have come to him. In addition to these do's, Paul also provides some don'ts. For example, don't have anything to do with profane and foolish tales or ideas. Paul is perhaps recalling a time when he, in the city of Athens, was approached by the Epicurean and Stoic philosophers and challenged and drawn into a debate with them. That was not a satisfying experience for Paul. In fact, he left Athens determined to focus only on the central parts of the faith. What he said was Christ and him crucified. I vowed to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. He is here advising Timothy to be on guard against being pulled off center into meaningless religious debates that really don't matter. I mentioned a couple of weeks ago about the millennial thoughts. And there is nothing at all wrong with devoting time to millennial thoughts, premillennialism or postmillennialism or amillennialism or panmillennialism. Remember, that's the thought that things are going to pan out in the end. But we cannot become consumed with these things. Because ultimately, it doesn't matter. So Paul is saying, don't get sidetracked by these things. And, and Timothy, as the leader of this congregation here in Ephesus, he cannot afford to get sidetracked. And as we call our pastor, whenever we call our pastor, I mean, I asked Susan this morning, do we have an announcement? She said, not yet. But when that time comes, we want our pastor to focus on the central parts of our faith to be enlightened in his teaching by, by continually learning new things so that the sermons won't be as dry as dust, but, but to challenge us and infuse us with excitement and new ideas, right? So don't have anything to do with profane and foolish tales. In verse 14, he says another don't. 
Don't neglect the gift that is in you. And in thinking of our new pastor, let's be honest. We know that he or she will be gifted by the Holy Spirit because every Christian is. You are, and I am. We assume that he or she will be gifted by the Holy Spirit with teaching and preaching gifts. But we cannot expect our new pastor to be gifted in everything because no person is. Right? So there will be some things they do better than others. And the other side of that coin is there will be some things they don't do as well as others. As a pastor, I had to continually explain why administration is not something I do so well. I don't like it. Our pastor will be gifted in some things and not so gifted in other areas. And do you know why? Because like you and I, we're human. That's the way it is with human beings. And that will be okay with us, won't it? You know what to do. It will be okay with us. Then as a practical matter, Paul addresses Timothy's age. He is a young man, relatively speaking. A young man who will be pastor to people, some of whom will be more than twice his age, presumably. Years ago now, as Connie and I were moving to Newport News, as the moving van was unloading, an older deacon pulled up to the curb in front of our house, got out, met me, looked me up and down, and said, well, I got over my pastor being younger than I am, but this is the first time I've ever had a pastor younger than some of my children. And then he said, I guess I'll have to get used to it. And I didn't say, but I wanted to, well, I guess you will. <laughs> I mean... What choice do we have here? Paul knows, and so does Timothy, that the older members of the church may assume that he's wet behind the ears and cannot know as much about life as they. And that may even be true. They may even assume that they know more 
than Timothy about spiritual matters as well as life in general. In the first church I served as full-time pastor, there were two older deacons who, these two men actually were instrumental in starting the church, this particular church. They were the pillars of the church. And as a young preacher, it would have been foolish of me to think that I knew more about anything than they did. So I was pretty careful around them to respect their opinions, to respect, to respect what they had learned, and to try to learn from them. Paul is recommending the same to Timothy. He says there are things that Timothy can't control. Timothy can't control how old he is. But perhaps he can do something about the attitude of the older church members. His advice centers on what Timothy can control. First, he said, set an example. Set an example in, in love, in purity, in, in all of these things, in Christian living. Set an example so that these older Christians can't outlive you because you are living according to the faith. And then he says, let no one despise your youth. I joined the Liberty Manor Baptist Church, where I later became pastor, as a college student, fresh out of the Marines. At the end of the first semester, the church asked me to become its youth minister. The pastor joked that my time in the Marines qualified me to serve as the youth minister, which says something about our youth there. Later, when the pastor was called to another congregation, the church asked me to become the interim pastor. And then the pastor, and no, that's not going to happen again. Not, not that any of us would want that, but, but, but I became the pastor of this, of this wonderful church as a, as a 24-year-old new seminary student I tell people that my real ambition was to become the director of the Women's Missionary Union in that church. But having hit the glass ceiling, I settled for being the pastor as a 24-year-old newly enrolled seminary student. I was thrilled 
and excited and terrified. Although I had grown up in the church, what did I really know about being a pastor? So when the older, established pastor of the big church in town called and asked if he could come by and pay a courtesy visit, I was eager for him to do so and thought to myself, should I ask him or confess to him my misgivings, my fears about being a pastor? And I decided I, I knew I could trust this man, and I did so. After a time of chit-chatting back and forth, I shared with him my concerns. He thought for a moment and then said, let no man despise thy youth. That was the sum total of his advice. But suddenly, remembering that this was exactly what Paul had told Timothy, it was exactly what I needed to hear. And now, I recall that event as though it had happened last week, although it happened more than 50 years ago. And from the vantage point now of a more mature and more experienced minister, it is my responsibility and privilege to appreciate the youthful vigor and perspectives of younger colleagues. I sometimes sit in meetings with Pastor Kristen and I listen to her and I listen to how excited she is about things. And I listen to her viewpoints and her perspectives. And they're exciting to me. But I also listen because there are times I learn things from Kristen. So Timothy also should go about drawing the older church members into his own sphere of influence by godly living, by treating them with respect, by listening and learning and guiding. Finally, Paul says to Timothy, pay close attention to yourself and your teaching. Paul, having begun this letter by calling Timothy his son in the ministry, assumes a fatherly tone here. Pay close attention to yourself. This phrase alone might well deserve a full sermon devoted to it, but given the time, I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version. 
And here we shift the emphasis from Timothy alone to us all. Pay close attention to yourself. Pay close attention that you demonstrate to those around you what the life of a Christ follower is like. There are eyes on you at work, at school, in the home. Demonstrate to them what a Christ follower is like. Pay, so cl pay close attention to your growth in spiritual maturity, becoming more and more like Jesus. In verse 15, Paul says, do this so that all may see your progress. And as a younger pastor, Paul knows that these older church members, these, these older Christians can look upon this young pastor and as they see in him godliness and Christ-likeness, they not only tolerate his youth, they celebrate it. They are proud of him. They become like his older siblings or his mama and papa. That's the pride they will take in him. Pay close attention, Paul says. Pay close attention that you cannot be accused of hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is simply saying one thing while doing another. Someone described our being perfect as the impossible possibility. Theoretically, we can be perfect if we make all the right choices and have all the right attitudes, but in practical terms, we cannot always manage that, can we? We can't always have the right attitudes. We can't always make the right choices. But when we fail to live up to our own expectations, and when we fail to live up to our calling in Christ, admit our failings, seek forgiveness, and press ahead. People around us, even unbelievers, can forgive our not being perfect. It's when we pretend to be something we are not that they have trouble with us and we become hypocritical. Pay close attention, Paul says, Pay close attention to your consistent effort as Christians. Whenever I would call my dad, my dad in his later years became hard of hearing. So when I 
put on my hearing aids every morning, I think, please don't let me get as bad as dad. I spent one whole phone conversation with him and he thought it was my brother talking to him. So I called my brother and told him he got credit for a phone call that I had made. But dad used to end every phone call by saying, keep on keeping on. Keep on keeping on. That was his signature, I guess. Keep on keeping on. And that's what Paul is saying here to Timothy. And that's what he would say to us. As we prepare for our devotional silence and the invitation to follow, may I ask you, what in your life you need to pay close attention to.